Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Good morning and a happy new year to you from Talk Back Gardening, our first January 2023 Talk Back Gardening. Good morning, John. Good morning, Deb. Good morning, gardeners. And how did your garden cope with that hot spot? Bike of weather we had between Christmas and New Year. We had our first 40 degrees for the season, and are we in for a lot more 40 degrees? Or will it be like last summer, where we only had the one 40 degrees day? <laughs> Makes a big difference when you're gardening and you're trying to grow your tomatoes and your cucumbers and your flowers and herbs, things like that. And very shortly we'll be talking to uh, our consulting climatologist here in South Australia, Darren Ray. Uh, wonderful information. He provides a three-month weather outlook. He'll take a look at, uh, uh, are we in for uh, some very, very hot weather, uh, considering that last couple of months he's been saying, we'll get heat spikes, not heat waves, John. Uh, does he still believe that is so? Uh, Darren doesn't press the buttons. <laughs> the buttons, uh, the systems work out themselves and uh, they can change very, very quickly. So stay tuned to see what Darren has to say about uh, hot weather and in particular rain or the lack of it and he may even put in a a very early bid for an early or late break to the season. Mm, Look forward to hearing what Darren says in just a matter of minutes. And also, John, you've been asking this morning for people's feedback on how their summer fruit harvest is going, and we're getting a lot of feedback on that. Fascinating, and it's not straightforward. Sometimes you'll find that it's all the same, but this time uh, there are many people, particularly cherries are coming in good, and that was an early crop, uh, and tomatoes. Uh, uh, apricots uh, are coming through okay but uh, there's also people with big problems with apricots stone fruits seem to be sort of copying a lot of problems apples and pears are coming through and the ones where people are saying good crops of figs and also uh, you know the, the, the mediterranean type fruits so uh, the interesting thing the interesting thing is there was a lovely comment there from on the text there sort of saying why don't we carry out a survey of fruit growing or the fruit season like we do a survey of tomatoes the end of the tomato season wonderful suggestion and we can do that Mm -hmm. through the good gardening newsletter so we'll uh, send out the surveys through the good gardening newsletter and bring the information back through talk back garden excellent so if you're not already signed up to john lamb's good gardening newsletter please do so just type good gardening john lamb that's j-o-n not j-o-h-n into your search engine and you'll find it very easily and as you said just then another text about figs. Denise at Northfield says my fig tree first time ever has a big first crop that's now been joined by a second big crop. She is loaded with fruit. Uh, Dave says my delicious Alberta peach only has 40 odd fruit. I think rain affected pollination when flowering this season. Um, But this person says I've got the biggest apricots I've ever seen almost peach size dripping with juice and covered in rust. So not a great outcome. And Glenda from Freeling, heavy crop last year, not much stone fruit this year, apples and pears, okay. So we'll feed through some of your uh, comments there. If your summer fruit harvest is good or bad, let us know. The text line is 0467 Give us your name and where you are, and John will make some notes ahead of actually running a, a summer fruit survey in the future. And stay tuned also a little bit later in the program. I've got a couple of January ABC Gardening Australia magazines magazines to give away and call in now to get in the queue to speak to John. The number is 1300 222 891. 
Darren Ray is our climatologist here in South Australia and he provides wonderful information as to what's going to happen from a gardening point of view for the next three months. And after a very, very wet winter and spring, which was predicted by Darren Ray, uh, could it be that the weather has changed? We certainly, the rain seemed to stop at the end of uh, the third week in November, and there's hardly anything been there uh, dropped out of the sky (laughs) since then, and uh, certainly looking at the weather map, I can't see any potential for rain, so it's going to be, uh, good morning, Darren Ray, why has it stopped raining? Yeah, good day, John. Um, I'm still getting over Deb's description of the uh, the pigs and the apricots, so my mouth's watering here. <laughs> so, um, yeah, particularly those figs, I uh, wouldn't mind some of those. But um, yeah, um, it, it, it's it's basically um, it, the tap certainly turned off um, the end of November, and um, and it, it basically it's pretty textbook um, indulation dipole um, switching off. So. You know, we uh, we've been talking about the negative out in the ocean dipole climate influence for all through last year, and um, you know they go from June, July, and then switch off during November. And so this you know textbook typically by the time we get to mid late November, um, the ocean patterns have changed and it changes the convection and everything's switched off, and that, and that has its biggest impact for South Australia. So the eastern states um, saw more. More of the linear influence um, kicking on through through the through the last last month or so, but um, yeah, for us it has has really uh, changed the uh, changed the rainfall patterns very considerably. Darren, that's and, um, absolutely and, fascinating, and I think you're politely sort of saying, "I told you so." <laughs> <laughs> about the rainfall, it was going to sort of be wet while the Indian Ocean dipole was negative, and so as it disappeared, somebody turned off the taps, and uh, they should have been listening to you. <laughs> Well, it, I, I still got caught out in the garden. I had a few things in pots that I've lost. Um, you know, I managed to bring uh, bring most things back without, you know, just being not being aware of that need to uh, get the watering back onto things um, as things warmed up and the, and the rainfall stopped. Yes, it's when so, we get yeah, a sudden burst a of heat. Things, so. <laughs> yeah, so, sorry, when we get a sudden burst of heat, 40 degrees, uh, uh, and the, the plants haven't had time to, to uh, uh, acclimatise, I think you won't be alone in problems there, Darren. Yes, but, exactly. um, and, and before long, I'll, I'll take a look at uh, uh, your comments from the previous discussions about uh, has uh, the systems changed such... Uh, that uh, maybe we're going to get heat waves and not spikes. But uh, I'll put that to to one side, if you don't mind. We'll do that towards the end of the discussion. Let's take a look at uh, January in terms of, of rainfall. There's nothing on the, in the cupboard at the moment. I can't see any uh, systems on, on my little weather uh, system. But uh, what's going to happen in terms of rainfall in January? Yeah, so um, so I'll just, yeah, once again, we go, if we go to background conditions that we're looking at, so one of the things that happened in late November with the negative bio definition is the warm waters to northwest Australia cooled off really, really quickly, and so that moisture source from the, off the northwest um, is basically gone. So that's no longer there. We have had a little bit of tropical activity come across northern Australia, and things have been a little bit active in the last week or so. But we just not had the one thing, the moisture there, and then the the right weather systems to connect into any any tropical moisture that's been around. So. So yeah, one of the you know one of the ducks that you need to line up for the rainfall is not there anymore. So, um, so so that's one thing. Um, so the ocean temperatures are cooled off. So still watching you know bursts of tropical activity come through, 
but it basically uh, over the next 10 days or so it's just in the wrong place in terms of um, thinning moisture across Australia and it does tend to make things hotter so we, we do see the weather patterns in a um, in, in uh, the convection sitting in a pattern in a way that supports the warmer conditions over over southern Australia and so basically we're in this period over the next 10 days or so throughout through to about the 17th of um, uh, you know quite you know quite hot not super hot but um, hotter temperatures in the sort of low to mid 30s um, thankfully the thankfully the winds are going to stay from the southeast so it does keep things a little bit milder so we're not really seeing that northerlies come in over the next sort of 10 days or so um, that, and that that's when, when things really heat up so we're just in this prolonged period of John of um, of you know sort of low 30s to mid high 30s over the next 10 days and then a cool change coming through around about the 17th um, not a lot of rain associated with that but it will cool things off back into the sort of mid high 20s um, you know basically pull the temperatures down a little bit um, and yeah so and then starting to warm up a little bit more and as we go to go through the last week of the month um, but yeah so overall we're looking at a warm January not a lot of rainfall around and um, but you know not super hot thankfully aha uh -huh. okay and that's the key issue isn't it uh, how hot it's going to be so uh, and again for the last couple of months you're saying you know, look the first part of January is going to be hot <laughs> would you believe it looks like it's going to be hot um, mm. will we get 40 degrees or little spikes or yeah so so I think it's that it's that spikes that you've been talking about John so so I think on Monday you hit a change there's there's a it's it certainly I suspect it would be a, at least a high 30s day we could well crack a 40 on on Monday ahead of the change on Tuesday um, so yeah so there's certainly potential there for another another day in the 40 you know 40 or 41 but um, yeah there's no it's not, not looking like prolonged heat wave no oh, okay I mean, so yeah. and towards the you know, the back end of January you sort of it's warm but not hot hot what about February February can be our hottest month uh, can you see that uh, there's extreme heat coming through in February yeah not so much either it's um uh, I, I guess the thing with February does the tropical activity does look like it picks up a little bit more so uh, yeah it does look like particularly the second week um, second week and then the last week of February does look like it's pretty tropically active so um, we, there's a little bit of chance that we might pick up a bit more rainfall in February um, and so the timing that's one to watch um, but, and overall warmer than average but doesn't look super hot and does look like the f it'll be hotter in the first half of February um, and then it'll, it'll get milder pretty, uh, pretty, pretty substantially in the second half and, and that, that could well be the last of the you know like chance of getting uh, days over 40s Great. fascinating <laughs> goodness gracious and and of course uh, in in march you mentioned there's a potential for uh, uh, some uh, tropical activity sort of towards the end of february or mid and late february uh, will that extend into march or will things sort of calm down yeah. by then yeah so so once so once again march looking warm and average um but not you know, it's not looking particularly hot, and um, it, it, it's if anything, the modelling has got things a little bit cooler than than this time last year. So, for for autumn, so um, 
So yeah, the first week of March looks like there could be a bit of tropical activity around, um, and then it just it does die off for the rest of March. So March looking looking pretty dry, um, warm. Looks like pretty, very pleasant gardening weather in terms of the start of autumn. Yeah. Okay. So from a gardening point of view, it, it's very similar to last year, sort of that mild weather. And of course, we had that lovely heavy rain. Uh, well, I call it lovely rain back in January, and that gave a wonderful opportunity for people to put in a late uh, crop of uh, vegetables. So uh, at, at least we okay. We don't have the rain from last year, but at least uh, we're going to get the similar kind of uh, uh, good gardening weather in that sort of uh, back end of summer and into autumn. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's that, that's a pretty good summary, John. That um, it does look a lot like last year. Um, you know, in the models, got it slightly cooler, but um, and, and that's certainly not a bad thing. But that that's warm, warm with average autumn, um, where people will be able to get a late crop in. Certainly looks on the cards. It's fascinating to look ahead at the systems, and, and uh, there will be people sort of saying, "Oh, what about a break in the season?" <laughs> Usually comes around about Anzac Day. Uh, can you see any signs at this stage of either an early or a late break? Yeah, so I guess that's uh, that's the other thing we're seeing. I'm um, seeing at this stage the um, this first half of this year is looking a lot like last year. So not a lot of rainfall around. Um, and I mean, looking at the models, there's a little bit of a spike in rainfall in the end of April. That prob- looks like it could well impact the southern parts of South Australia, so Kangaroo Island, southeast, um, Lower Peninsula might pick up a, a, a break. But then it does look like the bulk of the, you know, really the breaks are really not going to come through until once again, like like last year, early early um, more into sort of early May. And uh, yeah, and so and I guess the other thing, John, is um, where are we going after that? And that's really, um, it's been if, in terms of um, where things go in the second half of the year. I guess the, probably the important thing to sort of flag at this stage is um, once again, we're, we're shaping up for a drier start of the year. Um, in terms of the, where things go in the second half, it's looking like a very different year to last year, um, potentially. On that particular point, Darren, uh, we've had uh, the La Nina, the wet one, uh, and there is speculation amongst the uh, weather media that uh, it could change very, very quickly from uh, a La Nina, the wet one, to El Nino, the dry one, and it's often associated with droughts. Can you see a, a quick change from one to the other? Uh, so, yeah, I've had a bit, bit of a look all through, all through all the models available, and... Um, so there is, yeah, there is a tendency in the models in that forecast out through that six to nine month ahead time frame for things to head in the El Nino direction. So that's, and the consequence of that, so El Nino events typically start off, you know, can be June, July, August, and um, tend to produce hotter and drier conditions across Australia, and they do impact South Australia, um, but the eastern states more strongly. So it's one, certainly one to watch. It's very early, um, and... And I guess one of the things to keep in mind is after a La Nina event, the oceans have to flush out. There's sort of remains of the La Nina signal in a sense. And then, so often what can happen is you get a La Nina event and then you might have a go at an El Nino year. It doesn't quite get there and then it but does can can be on the sort of slightly hotter and drier side of things. But then it's the year after where it really kicks in with a vengeance. So 
It's going to be an interesting one to watch over the next year or two. Fascinating um, information from yeah. Darren Ray. And remember, you heard it first probably from Darren Ray uh, that uh, we may get a, an El Nino this year, but not likely. And uh, if uh, the systems repeat what they normally do or often do, then we could get uh, a, an El Nino next year. So uh, make sure you've got plenty of mulch and you fill up your water tanks. But Darren, it's wonderful talking to you. Thank you very much for your a contribution last week in, in the session we had on climate change with uh, Dr. Peter Heyman, and uh, I certainly look forward to talking to you on the first Saturday of February. Yeah, thanks, John. Um, I think I'm going to go to have some apricots now. <laughs> <laughs> Darren, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, always great to hear from you. Yeah, thanks, Deb. Thank you, Darren Ray, independent climatologist. Um, interesting information there, John, uh, in particular the fact that we're going to have below average rainfall for... Um, at least January and February and possibly March as well. So we're going to need to keep the water up to our gardens. Very much so. If you've got uh, tanks, make sure that, uh, oh, well, it's too late now to fill them because <laughs> make use of that water. And the best way of making use of that water, of course, is mulch, 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 getting uh, mulch on top of the soil uh, because uh, that holds the moisture that's in the soil there and stops the weeds from growing. The other thing, of course, is, is shade is also very, very important. And there's a factor that I haven't sort of been talking about for a while but I should and that is the fact that plants in the sun use twice as much water as plants in the shade or put it the other way if you've got your plants in the sun and you're concerned that you haven't got very much water the simple factor of shading those plants will reduce their water need by 50 percent worth considering. Very important information there. We are coming to your general talk back gardening calls in just a moment. The number to ring in on to ask John a question is 1300 891. We've got lots of your reports on your summer fruit harvest to talk about as well. The text line for that 0467 Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Just uh, given your wonderful summer harvest results for your fruit, uh, Rosemary in Encounter Bay says, recently moved house, have inherited fruit trees, apricot and apple loaded with fruit, peach and nectarine look like they are dying, fruit and leaves dried and fell off. They got very wet feet during winter. Um, we've got Joy saying, enjoying apricots from a tree in our neighbourhood in the yard of an abandoned derelict house. Trouble is I'm five foot nothing and can't reach anymore. <laughs> Thanks, Joy. Rose in Tea Tree Gully says, cherries, eight kilograms, plums good, apples, pears looking very good, no grapes, apricots, light, late crop, peaches, no crop due to leaf curl despite spraying. Strawberries are prolific. Thank you very much, Rose. Let's dive into tomatoes with Robert, who is in Enfield. Good morning, Robert. Good morning, Deb. John? Now, what's happening to your tomatoes? Um, well, it's a, one I haven't planted before. It's a college challenger. And the uh, base of the tomato is green. The rest of it is all uh, red. The base is green, and one that I had a look at this morning that uh, has a touch there dropped off, and the base is um, black, a brown, a black or brown. Okay, yeah, yeah. Robert, you're describing a classic uh, case of blossom and rot. 
blossom end rot. And it's right. caused by a calcium deficiency. And you think, oh, well, listen, I've growing soil. Uh, the soil here is pretty alkaline. Uh, there's plenty of lime or there's plenty of uh, alkalinity there or the calcium. But the thing is, calcium is one of those elements that doesn't move very quickly in a plant. And so uh, you've got a deficiency of calcium. Uh, you put on some lime. The lime's got to be broken down to deform the plant can take in. And then it doesn't move very quickly within the plant. Now, what often happens with home gardeners is you're growing your tomatoes and then it gets a little stress. It either, uh, you forget to water a little bit, but it, the, the root system dries out. And so uh, where the calcium was going into the leaves and also into the fruit, um, the, tr the plants actually sort of say, righto, any calcium we've got will go into the leaf. And actually, if we're running short of calcium, we'll take it out of the fruit and put it into the new growth, the growing tips. And so it's a deficiency of calcium which causes the breakdown of the cells at the bottom end of the fruit. And that's why you get blossom and rot. The way to overcome that is, first of all, make sure that you mulch your tomatoes. That way you get even moisture in your soil, or more likely to have even moisture uh, all the time, rather than going from hot to dry or wet to dry. And, and the other thing is uh, uh, the problem can be exacerbated by too much water and then too little water going from wet to dry. And it's the stress on the plant. It's not able to take in the calcium that needs and uh, it's causing the deficiency of calcium in the fruit and so you get rot. Okay, so... Uh just water them more often? Um, well, <laughs> you'll find that some varieties are more likely to have the problem than others, but I think uh, uh, just good management with your water probably will overcome that particular problem. Um, many experienced gardeners, before they actually plant their tomatoes, they will put on some gypsum. A gypsum contains calcium and uh, so the plant has got an opportunity to take in a lot of calcium early in its, 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 its life and that's stored within the system and so if it does get a bit of a stress it can sort of uh, call on the reserves but uh, it's an interesting kind of a, a problem and I think that as we go through the season from here on you won't be alone Robert in, in saying I've got blossom end rot. Okay, thank you. And can I ask you one more question? Yeah, quickly. Um, what is a, a good uh, variety of tomato for uh, uh, average size? So uh, if you have you, it on you, a sandwich... You don't want them to grow too big. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, most of the varieties that you buy are what they call uh, indeterminate. They keep on growing and growing and they get very, very tall, um, including most of the cherry tomatoes, which is a pity. Um, look for a variety called First Prize. First Prize. Um, and if you go to a garden centre and say, I want a, a, a variety of tomatoes that's determinate, determinate. In other words, it only grows to a certain height, stops growing tall, and produces fruit instead. 
and uh, first prize and uh, determinate varieties like first prize are brilliant for those that want to grow tomatoes in containers because it's, it's often very difficult to put a big tall stake in a, in a small container and it blows over. So look for determinate varieties. Why there are not more varieties, determinate varieties of tomatoes out there, it, 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 it worries me because there are more people growing their tomatoes in containers. They don't want a great big beanstalk mm. to grow uh, for their tomatoes. They just want a nice, neat little bush mm. and a few little tomatoes which are fresh. Pick them with their basil and it's a lovely salad. Yum. Making me hungry, John. Thanks, Robert. Good luck with that. Heather is in Port Puria. At Port Puria. I'm thinking of Clivia there or Clivia. <laughs> Heather, you're in Port Puri. What's happening to your Clivias? Well, I've got um, several large clivias on my back veranda um, and in the past I have bred them with pest oil. They are getting mealybugs and I just have reduced them in the past but I can't eliminate it. Um, I'm wondering if John can advise me what I could spray them with to get rid of the mealybugs. Sure. Are you completely organic or are you sort of... Uh... No. No. No, okay. Well, the most effective chemical, uh, the one that will boil them up very, very quickly, is confidor. Confidor is imidacloprid. Uh, uh, You'll find it not just under the brand name uh, Confidor now. It's, it's called Bug Kill. But the active ingredient, and you have to try and remember this, is imidacloprid, imidacloprid. <laughs> um, it's systemic. It's non-toxic to your point of view and most of the uh, critters in the environment, but um, it is toxic to sap-sucking insects and you just uh, mix it according to the directions and sp just drench it into the root system as well as spray it over the leaves and most of the material on the leaves will sort of uh, run off because of the it's just an oily kind of a, 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 a leaf. <clears throat> but anyway, yep. put it into the, into the root system and uh, the, the downsize is it, it's not a chemical to sort of use uh, um, on all kind of things in the garden because the chemical gets into the plant and gets into the flowers and then uh, when the flowers uh, open up and if they are pollinated by bees, it can affect the bees and that's not what you don't want. But from your clivia point of view, they don't get pollinated by bees so you don't have a problem there. Okay, thank you so much, John. Thank you. Thanks, Heather, for calling in. one three hundred triple two eight nine one is the number. Now, Bill is south of Peterborough. Bill, you've got some slimy grubs on your pear tree. That's a hundred-year-old pear tree, John. Yes. And it's about six metres high or a bit more. has a massive crop every year. But this year it has these slimy grubs... That seem to be feeding on the surface of the leaves. They're, they're black grub yes. and about a, a centimetre or a bit more long and uh, they, they stick to the surface of the leaf. Bill, you've given me a very, very good description of a pear slug and many people will wonder. They look at their tree, uh, uh, cherries, pears in particular, uh, you'll find that uh, exactly as Bill has described, that, that the, the green part of the leaf is disappearing and all you've got left is the skeleton. And that's the way these little slugs uh, feed. They just slide over the leaf, munch up the green part and leave uh, uh, the hard part behind. Uh, they can cause a lot of damage, visual damage. Um, and when you get a, a, a large 
large number of the leaves affected, it can set the tree back. It's very easy to control so long as you can spray the tree, Bill. Is a tree too big to spray? Oh, if I spend enough time on <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, um, the advice, if you can get somebody, uh, what you need is to uh, go to a garden centre and buy some Success Ultra. Success Ultra. It's the uh, only version of that particular chemical that I'm aware of, so we can mention its brand, brand name, Success Ultra. It's very, very effective in controlling all kind of caterpillars and slugs like uh, uh, the cherry slug. So if you can spray, the, spray as much of the tree as you possibly can, the important thing is as soon as you see the first sign of them, check your tree you know, every uh, two or three days in springtime, as soon as you see these little critters appearing, and they're very small, is spray as much of the tree as you possibly can. You'll often find that they start in the lower uh, canopy of the tree and they work their way up. So if you can knock them off early in the system, you should be able to contain the problem. Oh, they're well up now. <laughs> they're a long way up the tree now. Yeah, okay. Well, just bear in mind that they will complete their cycle. The leaves will drop on the ground. They'll overwinter. Um, it was probably worthwhile, if you can, is when you see leaves falling on the ground, rake them up and then uh, put them in a uh, put them in uh, in a hot position where they can the leaves can or the little slugs can get uh, cooked <laughs> uh, but if you pick up the leaves uh, then you you reduce the likelihood of a a, a carryover uh, towards the end of the season they'll actually drop to the ground or hide in cracks and crevices and you can't do much about that uh, perhaps an oil spray of your tree during winter uh, might also just, just help reduce the problem. Good luck with that, Bill. Thank you for calling in. Hyden is in Aberfoyle Park. Now, Hyden, lots of fruit on your, lots of budding fruit on your lemon tree, but uh, not ripening. Is that the problem? Yes, um, it appears that, um, as I said, I've got a lot of fruit. Um, it takes a long time to ripen. And I mean, I'm talking um, many weeks. How old is the tree? It would be four years old it's a grafted dwarf um lemon uh, a eureka and it's got heaps of fruit on it yes i reckon you're fruit. expecting a little bit too much too soon uh -huh. there hayden um if you've got uh, bear in mind that four years is not very old in the life of a a, a lemon tree it's going to sort of right. end up 50 or 60 years old if you look after it properly um, but what it's got to do is uh, it's got to produce a reasonable size framework and it'll spend probably the first 10 years developing a lovely framework and, and then uh, it stops producing framework branches and then starts to look at side branches and fruit and things like that so what, what uh, but the thing is you've got a variety that's able to produce its fruit and, and set fruit pretty quickly uh, the answer to your problem is not to have so many lemons it's very early in the season you'll find that they flower uh, they produce lots of fruit half of them will drop on the ground and then they'll grow a bit more and a few more drop on the ground but round about now uh, you should have uh, the, the crop that you're going to have established and once you get to around about the end of December January look at your tree and if it's got a heavy load of fruit thin and reduce the clumps down to one per clump 
and uh, even if there's still lots of lemons, take some of those off. You'll be rewarded with bigger and better lemons, so you're not going to miss out, but at least you won't have a problem because you'll reduce the load on the tree this season and you'll find that next season um, you won't have that biennial bearing problem where you have a big crop one year because and it takes too much energy out of the tree and you have a light crop next year simply because uh, there's not enough energy left over uh, and uh, that's all to do with when the fruit buds are set and we won't go into that at this stage. <laughs> right. No, look, thank you, John. That's uh Reassuring. <laughs> that's sure. great. Thanks, Hayden. Uh, patience is a virtue. I don't have it, that's for sure. <laughs> Thank you very much. And enjoying very much hearing about your summer fruit yields. Lois at Cherry Garden says there were gale winds around the time of the fruit trees flowering. So um, she's not surprised to hear about low yields for some of our gardeners. Uh, all fruit trees pruned heavy last summer. Apricots loaded. Others have a light crop from Sejuna. Um Rehome stone fruit in Tusmore, we will get no stone fruit, none, because parrots ruined it all while it was very green. We are unable to net the trees. The parrot problem increases each year. Certainly does, mm. yes, and uh, that's the rub. Uh, we want our birds to come back, but uh, if they do come back, particular types are very fond of our fruit. Exactly. What to do. And this texter says, nectarines, nothing. Two-year-old Satsuma had lots of fruit, disappeared overnight. No signs of rats or possum. Uh, passion fruit, nothing. Fig, three, and disappeared. Lemons, none. Previous crop failing and rotting within a few days. Fruit fly area last year and lots of spraying done. Yes. Deb, if we have time, and only if we have time, uh, perhaps in a 10 or so minutes, uh, I wouldn't mind just talking a little bit about summer pruning fruit yeah. trees. It's time to do that, and we're going to run out of time quickly. So Yeah, we'll, we'll come to that in just a moment. Yeah. Also coming to your calls, and on the issue of fruit fly, Jenny in Mildura asked if we could give her the helpline for fruit fly, which is, of course, causing havoc in the Riverland. It is 1300 666 010. That's the South Australian hotline. But of course, it's uh, open to anyone to report or to ask questions. So please do uh, call that Jenny if you would like to find out more. Deb Tribe with you, our talkback gardening expert, John Lamb, awaiting your calls. The way to get to him is 1300 222 Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. We are Talkback Gardening. Love to hear from you on 1300 891. Jeff from uh, Nairn is on the line. Jeff, you've got a question about chicken manure. Good morning, John and Deb. Yes, I have. I was one, I've got an access lots of chicken manure how long do i need to age that before i use it on plants please john from uh, your point of view the chicken manure is it fresh uh, and uh, or is it sort of from uh, what i'd call deep litter in other words it's it's probably uh, 80 or 80 percent or more of of chicken droppings or is it out of a, a chicken litter material in other words the chickens are growing uh, running around on the ground and uh, uh, you're getting a lot of straw and that mixed up with the droppings oh no it's actually underneath their nesting box at night. Okay. They right. must do a lot of um, 
Yes. Right. Uh, well, what you've got is basically uh, concentrated chicken manure, and it's very, very good, but it's also very, very powerful, and it's the kind of material that you need to allow it to dry out, and I wouldn't be using it uh, within, say, two months of getting it. So uh, you can speed it up by, if you wanted to add it to your compost, and by the time the compost is broken down, it's quite okay. Um, and uh, if you wanted to just uh, make a heap of it and, and then spread it out uh, so that it dries out, you can speed up the process. But even then, I'd be waiting that six weeks at least before using it. it again, it depends on what you want to use it for, Jeff. Uh, you're wanting to grow fruit and uh, or veggies or herbs or flowers? Yes, please. Fruit and veggies. Yeah. And I was also wondering if you can put it in, in a watering can and use it little bit by bit absolutely yeah it'll get pretty smelly the essential thing is if you mix it up with water uh, and you could say put in probably uh, uh, two or three uh, liters of chicken manure uh, concentrate in a 10 liter bucket and fill up the bucket but then you need to leave it alone probably for two or three weeks and it'll become as smelly as anything. What happens, it goes through a fermentation stage and all the nasties get broken down and then after, and not until it's gone through that fermentation stage and stops smelling, uh, you can actually use it as a, a, a liquid and you would use it like uh, it'll be concentrated and it's like a very, very dark tea and you need to water it down so it's like weak tea when you apply it. And you don't put it over leafy kind of vegetables. There's a potential of uh, E. coli and, and, and little bugs, uh, so even, even when it's uh, fermented. So, but I think if you water it down like tea and use it, water it into the ground and... Uh, most of your vegetables will say thank you very much and so will your fruit trees. But just don't overdo it. Uh, you put on too much nitrogen, you create lots of leaves, lots of growth mm. at the expense of flowers and fruit. Thank you very much, Thanks. John. Thanks for calling, Jeff. <laughs> Same <Bye>. to you. <laughs> lovely day in the garden. Thank you, Jeff. The phone number is 1300 uh, Just about your summer fruit crops. Chris at Pasadena says, My peach tree is laden with fruit this year. No fruit last year following mistimed poor pruning, which we'll be speaking about in a minute, Chris. So have a listen to that. Um, fruit trees... White Adriatic fig, post-Christmas cropper disaster, leaves yellows and dropped off, lots of baby figs withered and dropped off, very few remaining, Tahitian lime, masses of blossom, storms and rain took off the newly set fruit and remaining blossom, only one lime remaining, and native finger lime finally flowered profusely, all blossom, blew off in the rain and storms, no fruit. There you go. Isn't it fascinating how so many people are having very good crops and others are having very disappointing crops. Doesn't seem to be a lot in the middle, does there? That's right. (laughs) And so that will be the value of the survey. We need to uh, craft the questions so that we can find out why is it so. If you had a good crop, why? And if you had a disappointing one, why? And so we'll spend a bit of time nutting out some good questions and that'll turn up as a survey probably towards the, uh, uh, well, probably probably towards the end of March. We we won't put a date on it at this stage, but once the main 
grain harvest is over, the fruit harvest, uh, stone fruits and, and apples and pears and things like that, uh, it would be interesting to do a, a, an a extensive survey. Mm. And uh, we've been doing that for tomatoes. And I hope that you're recording your information about tomatoes so that you, record, you know which varieties you've got, when you planted them and how they're affecting because we'll be carrying out our tomato survey <laughs> <laughs> also probably sometime in March. Citizen science, gardening science, great to be involved in it. Speaking of fruit, Mike from Norlunga Downs has a question about um, wild-grown fig. Good morning, Mike. Yeah, hello. Yeah, it's a fig tree that popped up in the backyard up the zone of cord, um, and it's, I've let it go and kept it going, but the fruit that comes off it, it just dries, chips inside. Yeah, and... and uh, will, it, will it... Will it Will it ever get juicy or am I better chop it out and go and buy one? Uh, yeah, go and buy a, a new one. I think if it comes from an old garden, what you've got is uh, the old... Uh, um, oh, what's its name? doesn't matter. Um, it, what you've got is a, a fig... And it's a fascinating start, and it's the pollinator. The fruit that comes from it produces uh, pollen, and that pollen is taken by a very specific little insect to the uh, to the decent kind of, of figs, and and yep. pollinates them. What about if I kept that tree kept it small then, as the pollinator, and got a, a good one? Uh, well, you'll find that the good ones don't need pollination. Um, it oh, was right. in the good old days when they used to dry figs, you know, and they were, it was a very important part of South Australia's industry, fruit industry, uh, with the dried fruits, dried apricots and dried figs was tremendously important, particularly in, around the Brossa Valley and areas like that. And you'll find still these old varieties of figs, which are the pollinators, they never have edible pigs, figs, but they certainly are of value when you want to do a, a get a, a pollination of other particular varieties. But for the most pig, pigs, most fig <laughs> varieties, <laughs> getting excited, calm down, John. Uh, yeah, most varieties, you know, figs are fig and you don't need a pollinator. All right. Lovely. Thanks a lot for that. Thanks, Mike. Um, I hope it goes well buying a new one uh, rather than relying on that one. Uh, just a couple more of your incredibly interesting summer fruit texts. John at Wallaroo says, um, early fruiting nectarines good. A few peaches, but only a couple on another. Both later fruiting than the nectarine. No apricots. Some with apples, others not. A few plums, but not many. And another tree, none. No mm. pears. Seems the early fruit fruited but not really good except for one nectarine. We had heavy rain at Wallaroo around flowering. Overall, very poor crop that will provide only a taste of what could have been. So, mm. some good, some bad. The interesting thing coming through is anybody with cherries had a good cherry crop this season. Mm. Nice to see. And presumably, we had enough cold weather to give you a wonderful fruit set and uh, they obviously flowered at a period when it wasn't showery so we didn't get the fungal diseases on them and so there we are lovely yeah. there. there's some beautiful fresh stone fruits coming onto the market at the moment and you mightn't have stone fruits in your own garden but think of the gardeners in the riverland they're going through hell with floods and also fruit fly and uh, 
pop into your local uh, green grocer or supermarket and buy some stone fruits. And uh, uh, most of it will have come from the Adelaide uh, uh, Riverland or probably Mm. uh, the Adelaide Hills. And just enjoy fruit and and help the people that grew it. Exactly. Like you said, money does grow on trees. And backing up your comment about cherries, John, another text through great harvest of cherries in the Barossa. I'll read some more of your texts out. John is going to talk about summer pruning next, which is a very important important topic but if you haven't won anything from our station in the last month and you'd like to get yourself a copy of the January edition of ABC Gardening Australia call through now 1300 222891 Talk back gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide South Australia and Broken Hill It uh, is that time of the year when we're thinking about summer pruning, John, and what do we need to consider before we get our um, secateurs out and our our larger snipping loppers? loppers, That's right. What should we do? Well, um, it's a big topic, and I'll just focus on uh, young fruit trees. Many people have planted new trees, and uh, in the first two or three years, you'll find that they grow very, very vigorously, or they should be growing very vigorously. And uh, let's say you've planted your fruit tree two years ago, and it's probably producing great big long stems, maybe uh, a metre, a metre and a half long. Now, if you leave them and prune them during winter, you'll have to prune probably two-thirds of that branch and just drop it on the ground, and it's wasted. On the other hand, if you can, you can summer prune young fruit trees. And it's very important that you do that because you can actually get two years' growth in one season. And the, the aim in the first probably seven or eight years is to develop your framework of your tree. Once you've got your framework, uh, you don't need to worry about it. But it's important to get as many uh, main frame branches as possible. So there's your tree, and it's growing vigorously. It's probably got, uh, say, four or five big, long, strong branches. And if you cut those back now by at least 50%, what will happen is the longest and strongest will send out two shoots. And instead of having one branch, you'll have two branches. They'll be shorter. And so what you're getting is two years of framework rather than one. Now, you only do it to the long branches that are over a metre long. The ones that are less than a metre, you could probably leave them alone and they'll still be a frame branch. But the important thing is to do it. Now, the thing is, if you're going to do it, you need to do it very soon, the next couple of weeks. Time is running out if you want to summer prune. If you summer prune your young trees late, what you'll do is you'll get new growth, but by the time winter comes, it won't be mature enough to be worthwhile, and so you'll probably have to prune it off again. So summer prune your fruit trees now or soon uh, if you've got young fruit trees which are growing vigorously. Excellent. If you'd like to ask John a question, we've still got a few minutes left. You'll get straight through to him on 1300 222891. One. Congratulations to uh, Gianna from Athelston and Rosemary from Encounter Bay who have won the uh, January editions of the ABC Gardening Australia magazine. Coming back to the summer fruit survey, our, I guess, um, off-the-cuff survey. I know you'll be doing a more detailed one in a month or two, John. Ian at Trot Park says, Only 11 apricots. Left them for the birds. Yes, my satsuma plums are just about to go and I can see the birds' interest in them already. Um, thank you to this texter says, um, great crop of quandongs here in southern York Peninsula for the second ever season. 
125 trees flowering right now, but most other fruit trees are not doing very well. Cherries were excellent for their first ever crop, but it looks like a particularly large crop of Kwandongs. Wow, there you go. Fascinating information coming through. There yes, is, and isn't certainly there? a survey will pick up a lot of that. Um, uh, just coming back to Darren Ray. Darren Ray, of course, uh, provided his three months weather outlook, and uh, many people uh, miss out because they don't have the right kind of uh, um, equipment to be able to listen to the program, and so they won't be hearing what I'm about to say. But uh, uh, because of uh, the importance of Darren Ray's uh, uh, information, I'll try and get as much of that as I possibly can in the the Good Gardening Newsletter, and it's been on hold for a while, uh, but uh, over Christmas, but their first edition for the season comes out this Friday, and so uh, it'll contain uh, Darren's information and also a lot of the uh, information we're gathering from Talkback Gardening. So uh, it's a, a, just a, a very topical uh, little newsletter which gives you what's happening in your garden this week. And remember, you can always listen back to anything that you hear on ABC Radio Adelaide for up to one week online at ABC Radio Adelaide. But, of course, the this hour from 9 until 10 of Talkback Gardening is podcast, it's podcast. every week. So yes, you can yes. All you've got to do is figure out how to uh, uh, put the podcast app on your phone and I've got sons and <laughs> one uh, installed the ABC app for me yes. and the other one installed <laughs> the uh, podcast so I'm, I'm fully loaded. Well ABC Listen app is what you need and then just type in Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and you'll find it. Uh, Mary Ann is in Tarlee. Mary Ann you've been given a dwarf cherry in a pot. Yes that's right it's in a I've had it two years now and it's in a big pot, but I wanted to actually put it into the ground and I'm wondering, will it grow into a big tree or will it forever be a dwarf tree? Depends on the variety. Do you know whether it's a, just a, a normal ho-hum variety of cherries? That, uh, yeah, the, pretty okay. sure it's a ho-hum. <laughs> okay, well, I think that because it's been in a container for a short period, that will give it some kind of a bonsaiing effect you'll find that the root system will never be the same, particularly if it's at all root-bound. Do nothing until winter, and in winter, uh, take it out of its container. Take a look at the roots, and if they're going around the root ball, you take all of the roots going around the root ball off, leave the others alone, and you'll find that if it is root-bound, the more root-bound it is, the more bonsaiing effect it will have. But the nice thing is if you unbound the roots in winter and uh, do your preparation make sure the soil is is nice and loose it's important then that uh, you dig wide not deep so dig at least a, a square meter of soil to the depth of about 30 centimeters put some organic matter in it do that now or soon so that in winter you can plant your tree with confidence and it'll just take off and keep on growing it'll never be this probably the same size as uh, if you had to put it straight in the ground from the nursery but you'll still get a lovely tree with lots of cherries with luck oh wonderful i look forward to that thank <laughs> you so much for your time thanks thank Marianne. you have a great day thank Bye. you same to you and a great 2023 ahead i think we can sneak in david from casterton david you've got an apple tree query welcome hello what's the problem there david john we've got an old um, golden delicious apple tree it's probably about 40 years old. Yes. And the leaves are sort of got a mosaic yellow appearance about them and, and quite quite a bright yellow, the, just the leaves. Do you know the old variety? 
It's an old gold. It's a golden delicious. Oh, golden delicious. Sorry, you mentioned that. Yeah. Okay. Um, I suspect it's apple mosaic. Uh, you'll find that the it's not all of the leaves. Just a few of the leaves on a branch will be all sort of got that little mosaic yellowing. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's that's apple mosaic, and it doesn't affect the quality of the fruit, and even the quantity of the fruit. It, it's a virus which was on uh, apple trees many, many years ago. I came from an orchard uh, uh, many, many years ago, and uh, Jonathan's in particular used to have the apple mosaic on it. And they have now, uh, the nurserymen have, uh, and, and the nursery people have uh, got rid of the virus so you can buy your fruit trees uh, and they're virus-free. But it's of no consequence. There's no point in spraying it or doing anything. It won't affect the fruit quality or the taste and just... Uh, it's just one of those things that it's old-fashioned. <laughs> the modern versions don't have that particular problem. Thanks for the call, David. Not great reception there, but lovely to hear from you. Just a few last texts, John, on summer uh, fruit crops. Andrea Eden Hill says stone fruit crops this year for us super late. Apricots, nectarines are still all still nowhere near ripe, but good crops coming eventually. Apples all look about normal and on schedule. Um, in Norlunga Downs, big crop of pixie peaches, satsuma plums and apples, light crop of apricots. Thank you for that. Uh, and um, no stone fruit at all in my Unley garden. No fruit set on white and yellow peaches or nectarines, apricots or red plums as all pollen washed off in the rain. Couldn't spray due to constant rain and wind, so curl leaf was ruthless. Then possums ate all my regrown <laughs> apricot leaves, and I think I'll lose the tree. So for Alice, it's a disastrous season in oh, Unley. But- Keep on gardening and keep on growing your fruit. The important thing, of course, is if you're growing fruit, you have a responsibility. We've been talking about fruit fly often, mm. and we don't have fruit fly in Adelaide, but bear in mind most of the outbreaks come from fallen fruit. It's the fruit that falls down, attracts the female uh, fruit fly, she lays her eggs, and uh, that, uh, y- y- it starts off and it keeps on going. So if you've got fruit trees, it's important that you uh, pick up your windfalls. And I'll say until next week when we can probably continue our discussion on fruit trees and other things. Good gardening.